Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 19 this morning as we begin a new series. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful. We're grateful for the revelation of you that we have in your word. That every portion of it reflects a different aspect of your character, all to be studied and considered, all to be applied. And it's just marvelous how your spirit seems to make what we read during the week on Sunday applicable the rest of the week to our lives. We pray that would happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Somebody once considered that if Jesus were to do his ministry on earth today, that he would be wanted by the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, for turning water into wine without a license. The EPA for killing fig trees, Environmental Protection Agency. The AMA for practicing medicine without a license. The Department of Health for asking people to open up graves for raising the dead and for feeding 5,000 people in the wilderness. He'd be wanted by the NEA, National Education Association, for teaching without a certificate. OSHA for walking on water without a life jacket and (laughs) flying without an airplane. He'd be wanted by the SPCA for driving hogs into the sea. The National Board of Psychiatrists for giving people advice on how to live a guilt-free life. The NOW organization for not choosing a woman apostle. (laughs) By the Abortion Rights League for saying that whoever harms children, it's better that they would never have been born. And by the Interfaith Movement for condemning other religions. Listen, man has his laws. And... Not everybody likes them. God has His laws. Now, I've discovered that most people don't like those laws. We just saw in the video this little segment about Judge Roy Moore and the Ten Commandments that were placed in that Alabama judicial building and the forcible removal by the federal courts. And here's why. The judge that ordered their removal said the Ten Commandments are unconstitutional that they represent by their very presence a violation of church and state. I wish he'd travel to the Supreme Court and see still engraved on the lintels Moses holding the Ten Commandments. Well, the Ten Commandments on that monument were a symbol, really. They were symbolic. They were symbolic that God's laws are higher than man's laws. But the removal of those Ten Commandments, that was also a symbol. The symbol was, we've got our own laws. We don't need those. Well, we begin today uh, a series on the Ten Commandments, God's Top Ten. It's a great summer series. It gives us several weeks together in this section of Scripture. Now, there have been a lot of Top Ten lists. The FBI has its top 10 most wanted fugitives. 
David Letterman, of course, every night has the top ten. Well, God has his own top ten. And so here's the the question. Of all of the important things to put on a list, what would God consider the top ten? That's a good question to keep in mind as we make our approach over this portion of the Bible. What would God consider our life's most important rules? Furthermore, what is our relationship to those rules? Why are we to know them? I guess maybe a better question is, do we know them? What if we, right now, were to take a test, and our test was you have to write out, without looking, this is a closed book test, write out the Ten Commandments from memory. I wonder how many would remember them. Harper's Magazine noted, quote, only 40% of Americans can name more than four of the Ten Commandments, close quote. Recent statistics state that the average Christian scores at the national average. Uh, An article in Boston Globe magazine some time back featured a teacher in Boston College named William Kirkpatrick. Fascinating little article. He said that one day in class they were talking in in class about the Ten Commandments. That was the subject of discussion in the course he was teaching, the Ten Commandments. So he wanted to write them on the board so they could look at them as they were discussing the Ten Commandments in that class. William Kirkpatrick said, It wasn't that individuals couldn't think of them all, but the whole class working together couldn't come up with a completed list. Now, a whole college class of individuals together couldn't remember the Ten Commandments. Well, I'm taking you back to chapter 19, even though the Ten Commandments are in chapter 20. We want to look at some preliminaries today, some preliminary thoughts before we get into it. We want to ask a few questions. Why should we study them? What were they exactly? Why were they given? And what relevance do they have for our lives today? So we go back to chapter 19 to get the fundamentals. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Now in chapter 20, And God spoke all these words, saying, 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant or female servant, nor your cattle or your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Why should we study these commandments? What is their importance? The Ten Commandments only takes up a half a page in our Bibles. Now, if you have a large print Bible, it might take up a whole page or a page and a half if you have a really large print Bible. But it's a relatively small section, and it was written so long ago, 3,400 years ago, a ragtag group of people leaving one country, going to another, were given these commandments. Why should we study them? Let me give you a few reasons. Number one, because they're found in Scripture. And I think, really, that's all the reason we need. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Well, part of the all Scripture is this section of Scripture. It's found in the Bible. And the Bible is God's curriculum, like it or not. It's what's there. It's his revelation. If you were to go to a university and you were to plot out a course of study to get a certain degree, and in that curriculum of study, you looked it over and you said, okay, this looks good except that math class. I just would rather not take that math class. Oh, and that English course, I'm not really great in English and it doesn't interest me, so... We'll scrap that. Oh, and, and that biology course. I've never really liked biology, so let's move that aside. I'll put basket weaving in instead, and maybe something else. They would happily say, you can't get your degree unless you follow our curriculum. This is what are our requirements for you to complete it. 
Well, this is God's curriculum. This is part of it. You say, yeah, but it's Old Testament. Why should Christians study the Old Testament? Paul tells us in Romans 15, whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So reason number one we study them is because they're found in Scripture. Here's reason number two. Not only are they found in Scripture, they're foundational to our faith. We believe in Jesus Christ. What was the Bible Jesus quoted from? The Old Testament. Whenever he said, it is written, and by the way, do you know what was the most often quoted book in the Bible by Jesus? Deuteronomy. The second giving of the law. The repetition of the law of God is what Jesus quoted most. I think that many Christians live in a house without knowing much about the house they live in without understanding the foundations of the faith, which are Old Testament, which are Judaism. And part of that is these ten laws. Paul wrote to the Romans and said that they, the Gentile church in Rome, you're a wild olive tree. You have been grafted in among them, the Jewish people, so that you might partake of the root and the fatness of the tree. So boast not against the olive tree. And what did Jesus say about the law? He said, don't think that I've come to destroy the law. I haven't come to destroy it, but to what? Fulfill it. Fulfill it. Doesn't it make sense that the very law Jesus came to fulfill, we ought to know something about? So because they're found in Scripture, because they're foundational to our faith, there's a third reason we study them. They're fundamental to our society. American jurisprudence has its basis on the law of Moses in the Ten Commandments. In fact, the Ten Commandments is divided in two. And the second part of the Decalogue, we call it, the Ten Words, the Decade of Words, the Ten Commandments, the second part deals with the foundational pillars of our society. So honoring parents is foundational to having a strong home. No adultery is foundational to having a strong marriage. Human life is sacred, therefore you're not to take it by murder. There's human rights and property rights and honesty, all of that that is written into the Ten Commandments. And it's not just our society, but other societies. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Abolition of Man, says about the Ten Commandments, many ancient cultures have a surprising agreement in these ethical and moral standards despite the cultural differences. Man has a basic understanding of these standards that God has established for his creation. Well, if people don't know them, no wonder they break them. So let's cure the biblical illiteracy by teaching all Scripture that is inspired. So they're found in Scripture, they're foundational to our faith, they're fundamental to our culture, our society. There's a fourth reason we study it. Because they have been forsaken in our culture. They've been forsaken. I'll tell you what I've discovered, you may or may not agree, but as I look at the society in which I live, I see an aimlessness, a lack of direction. It's pervasive. 
And it's largely because whatever principles our nation was once founded on, and many of them were biblical, we've departed from. Now, when a nation departs from God, when anybody departs from God, they will depart from obeying their parents. When you depart from God, you depart from protecting human life. When you depart from God, you depart from fidelity to a spouse. They've been forsaken by our culture. You see, whenever you push God's laws aside, and by and large our country has done that, because most people don't believe in any set of absolutes. When you push God's laws aside, you've got to put something in their place. And you know what's in its place? Pure existentialism. This is how it goes. Well, I'm glad that's good for you. Your good may not be my good. My truth may not be your truth. I'm glad you have your truth. There's no such thing in our culture anymore as the truth. It's very arbitrary. Now, if you keep that as the standard and you take it out to its logical conclusion, you will end in despair because you don't know where the line is. There is no line to draw and say right, wrong. There's no moorings. You'll end in despair. I'll give an example. I'm going to give you a quote from somebody that's considered one of the smartest people ever. I want you to keep that in mind. You're about to hear words of a smart person. This guy won the Nobel Peace Prize in medicine and physiology, Dr. Albert Zent-Georgi. He was asked what he would do if he was 20 years old again today. Listen to his optimism. I'd share with my classmates the rejection of the world as it is, all of it. Is there any point to study and work? Fornication, at least that is something good. What else is there to do? Fornicate and take drugs against this terrible strain of idiots who govern the world. Close quote. Wow. That's a smart guy. You want to go to him for counseling? You're going to walk away with a positive note from that? Now here's someone who has his own moral standard apart from any commandment and has ended in despair. The last 30 years in our culture, we've been told to question authority. Remember the early bumper sticker, some of you? Question authority. We've done that. We've questioned moral authority. We are questioning political authority. We've questioned spiritual authority. So no longer do people say, this is right and this is wrong, but do what feels right to you at the moment. There's a fifth reason we should study them. Because they're forgotten by the church. They're forgotten by the church. I know they're the Bible, it's in the Bible, but these commandments are forgotten by the church. The sewage of the world is seeping into the church, and that's a concern. Listen to this, it's a recent poll. 67% of Americans do not believe in moral absolutes. 67%. Now I've got to tell you, that doesn't surprise me. Probably doesn't surprise you either. 67% of Americans don't believe in moral absolutes. But maybe the second part will shock you. 
62% of professing Christians say there's no absolute standard of right and wrong. Now that shows that whatever sewage is in our culture that has thrown out the laws of God is seeping in among us. No wonder you have New Age churches, they call themselves, homosexual churches, healing crystal churches. You see, God has been dragged down into the gutter as if He sanctions everything because we're making up our own laws. So that's their importance. That's why we will study them. Second is a question of their substance. What were they exactly? Well, understand that these Ten Commandments were part of a greater covenant that God made with the children of Israel when they left Egypt. Go back to chapter 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, we all remember the story as part of our Sunday school past. The children of Israel were in bondage to Egypt for 400 years. In slavery, they called out for deliverance. In chapter 1 and 2 of Exodus, it says, God heard their groanings and remembered the covenant that he made. He sends Moses. There's deliverance. The Red Sea opens up. They're brought out into the wilderness. They go from um, Egypt down a course out in the Sinai Peninsula through Marah, Elim, Rephidim. And 90 days after they begin their journey, they end up at the base of Mount Sinai, where God calls Moses up to reestablish this covenant and gives him two tablets of the law. One deals with man and their God. The other deals with man and his neighbor. The two tablets of the law. The Ten Commandments are called the Torah. That's sort of its restrictive title. You've heard the term Torah. Torah sometimes refers to only the Ten Commandments. Sometimes the Torah refers to the first five books of Moses. And at other times, people use it to refer to the entire Old Testament. But we call the Ten Commandments sometimes the Decalogue. Because there's a phrase three times in the Hebrew Bible. Aseret ha-devarim, which means a decade of words, the ten words, the ten precepts that God gives. Okay, notice that there are ten commandments. They're not ten suggestions. They're not ten proposals. There's not ten good ideas, but come up with your own. There are ten commandments. These are the commands that Moses set before them. Verse 7. And we notice there's ten of them, not five. You don't say, well, I like that one. I don't like that one. There's ten, not five, not nineteen, just ten. And these ten are sufficient to give us God's general will concerning the great issues of life, as we will discover Now, the ancient rabbis used to say there were 613 commandments. 613. Can you imagine trying to memorize that? 
They divided the 613 commandments into two sections, positive and negative. 248, they said, were positive commandments. 365 of them were negative commandments. The 248 positive commandments, said the ancient rabbis, corresponded to the 248 individual parts of the human body. The 365 negative commandments correspond to the 365 days in a year. Thus, the idea is that you are to keep with every fiber of your being God's law every day of the year. That's a wonderful thing to say, but let's just push that 613 aside and we'll concentrate on these 10 commandments. And we find they will be very sufficient in determining that general will of God for mankind. Now something about the Ten Commandments, most people pass over. Most people think the Ten Commandments have everything to do with actions outwardly, not attitudes inwardly. We would be wrong if we were to think that. Now I know it says, don't murder, that's an outward action. Don't commit adultery. Outward action. Don't steal. Outward action. But go down to chapter 20, verse 17, the last commandment. You shall not, what? Covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. What is covet? That's inward, isn't it? Nobody sees anybody covet. It's an inward, intense desire that's hidden. You can wear long religious robes and a big collar and carry a big honking Bible and still covet all day long. And did you know this was the commandment that when Paul reread it, killed him? He said, I looked at the law as a means of giving life, and then I read, Thou shalt not covet, and it slayed me. I realized it wasn't outward, it's inward. And that was Jesus' whole point, was it not, on the Sermon of the Mount. You have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. But I say unto you, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're in danger of judgment. You've heard that it was said by those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, you look upon another woman to lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery. That's outward. But the law governs also the inward attitude. Well, let's go to the third point that we've given you this morning third question about their significance. Why were these given? What is their purpose? What's the purpose of God giving these ten precepts to the children of Israel at this time? This could sum it all up. They were given, number one, to regard God. A means of man to regard God. In other words, to show a visible tangible expression of man's love toward God. You see in verse 5, again, of chapter 19, see the word if and the word then. Notice that correspondence. If you obey my voice, then you shall be a special treasure to me. In other words, it will be your obedience that will demonstrate your love for me. I mean, how do you know if you love God or not? That's easy to say. I hear people all the time, I love God. How do you know? Well, I feel really warm inside right now. It's that fuzzy, warm feeling. It's those positive thoughts that I have. That's really great, but that's not 
any indication. The outward, visible, tangible way we know if we love God is we obey His commandments. Now, before you push that thought aside and say, Skip, that's Old Testament, not New Testament. Remember the Lord Jesus said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. 1 John chapter 2 would repeat that. By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So the tangible expression then that we regard God is that we obey what he has commanded. That's their significance. That's why they were given, to give us a tangible way to regard God. Number two, to relate to man. To relate to man. Now follow me here. There's ten commandments. The first tablet of the law, the first four commandments, are theocentric, God-centered. They have everything to do with how we relate to God. The second tablet of the law, the last six, are anthropocentric, man-centered. They have everything to do with how we relate to people. So people can function in a culture. You know, some people have problems with God's commandments because they think, as they read the Ten Commandments, it cramps their style. It's so restrictive. It takes away their freedom. Listen to what Ted Turner said concerning the Ten Commandments. He said the Ten Commandments are old, outdated, and passé. And he says, nobody likes to be commanded. Commandments are out. You could say, well, that's Ted Turner. I mean, come on. Well, listen to this lawyer who claims to be religious, a religious lawyer from Washington, D.C. She says she goes to church every week. She said concerning the Ten Commandments, quote, To be perfectly honest, some of these laws seem to apply to me. Others I disregard. Well, that's kind of convenient. Yeah, I like the don't lie part. The adultery part, I'm not sure about. There are certain laws I pick and I choose. Well, that would be ten suggestions. You know, when I was a kid, I, I, had, a, I had a neighbor who was a police officer, CHP, California Highway Patrol. And uh, he didn't like me. <laughs> and uh, probably for good reason. I had a loud motorcycle and the car that I told you about that I bought for $37 without a muffler. And he, was, he heard it all. So he would stop my brother and I frequently and give us warnings and be very stern and write tickets to us. So I grew up with a view of the law that was not favorable. So that every time I saw a police car, I had a response of white-knuckling the steering wheel. (gasps) I had a bad view of the law. In fact, I saw this guy at my mom's funeral. And he introduced himself. I'm... John Lattice, I said, I know who you are. (laughs) I got more tickets by you than anybody else. But you see, it was my problem, not his. My view of the law is they're out to get me, not realizing the law was positive. We're all out on the road. There's lots of drivers out there besides me. And so to ensure safe passage for everybody on the road... Laws are in place for a positive reason. 
to relate to other people. And so the laws of God are given to regard God, to relate to man. A third reason God gave them here is to restrain evil. To restrain evil. You know, rules are needed to keep sinful man from destroying everything. Everything. It is man's nature. If you gave the nature of man free reign, it'd be pandemonium without rules. Easily proven. What happens after a natural disaster, earthquake, hurricane, a flood, fire, when there's no law enforcement on the scene? What happens? Looting, theft, all sorts of break-ins, violence. That happens everywhere, all the time. Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 1, he says, We know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly, the sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So the law, like all laws, are given to tether to restrain the ragings of the sinful nature. So to regard God, to relate to man, to restrain evil, and there's a fourth reason they're given, to reveal our need. To reveal our need to be cleansed, and that comes only from Jesus Christ. In Romans 7, Paul discusses the law and his relationship to it as a New Testament believer. He says... Is the law sin? Certainly not. He writes in verse 7, On the contrary, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. Story about an editor in a newspaper, small town newspaper. He's filling in, he's outlining his page for the next day, and he, he has a blank space. What to do? He didn't know what to put in the blank space. He didn't want to leave it blank. So he put a copy of the Ten Commandments. No commentary, no editorial comments, just the Ten Commandments. A few days later, he got a letter from somebody saying, Cancel my subscription. You're getting too personal. He didn't say anything. He just put a copy of the Ten Commandments. That, that illustrates something. It illustrates what the law does when we read it. It's an affront to our sinful nature. You remember back in school when you were introduced to the microscope as a kid and the teacher said, now take out one of your hairs from your head and put it under the microscope. Now you just washed your hair. Your hair had been washed and cream rinsed and it was silky and smooth and you thought the best hair on the block until you put it under that microscope. You remember what it looked like? Gnarly, nasty, irregular, big chunks taken out of the shaft. That was your hair under a microscope. Or a needle, you put that under the microscope, that slim, sleek, pointed shaft looks so beaten up under the microscope. Our lives under the microscope of the law look that way for a reason. Paul said in Galatians, the law was our schoolmaster, our tutor to drive us to Christ. Shows us the need can't get cleansed by it. It shows us the need. So, in closing, I want to discuss now their relevance. What do they mean to me personally? What, what am I to do with these commandments? Number one, treat them as a compass. Number two, treat them as a thermometer. 
Number three, treat them as a mirror. And number four, treat them as a road sign. First of all, as a compass. As you and I will look over these Ten Commandments over the next several weeks, you're going to see ten categories, ten reference points for you and I to plot our way through life. Things you don't ever have to pray about. They're just fixed. You never have to say, you know, I'm interested in this other person. I know I'm married, but I'm sort of thinking about maybe having an affair. So I'm going to pray about that. You don't need to ever pray about that. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Done. Don't have to ever worry about that. Just don't do it. You're going to find these ten guiding principles, and if you treat them as reference points on a compass, they'll give you direction. Number two, a thermometer. To gauge our love for God, we're going to look at our experience of obedience in light of what God has commanded, and we'll be able to read the gauge. We say we love God. Are we keeping His will in these areas? Number three, as a mirror to reveal the truth about us. Now, we all have love-hate relationships with our bathroom mirrors. We all have them, but we don't all love them. They tell us the truth. As soon as you get in the morning and look up in the mirror, it's like, (laughs) you can't blame the mirror. You can put soft lights all around it. It's just the truth. Now, you can't take the mirror off the bathroom and go, I I, I need to clean up. (laughs) Scrub yourself with the mirror. The mirror only reveals the need. It doesn't fix the problem. So, as we examine and look into the mirror of these commandments over the next few weeks, it's going to show us who we are, our need to be cleansed. That's why Paul says in Galatians 3, clearly, no one is justified by the law before God. Number four is a road sign to point us to Christ. Okay, granted, we're going to look at the law and we're going to see the truth about ourselves, the dirt, so to speak, but the law will point to the showers. So if you read a commandment and as I read a commandment and we feel we have fallen short in that area, you don't stop there. You flee to where you get cleansed and that is the blood of Christ. The law cannot cleanse you but can point the way. I love the story about the young boy who was lost. And the story is is that there was an officer in northern England named Officer O'Hanlon. I know it's an Irish name, but he was living in North England. And Officer O'Hanlon heard a cry, and it was a boy on the steps of a building saying, I'm lost, can you help me find my way home? The officer said, sure, where do you live? The boy said, I don't remember. So he started naming streets. Do they sound familiar? The boy said, no, I don't know those streets. The officer started naming establishments, bakeries, stores. The boy said, I don't know those stores. So the officer thought, yep, he's lost. So he took the little boy up in his arms, and he pointed across town to a large cathedral that had a large wooden cross on top. He said, do you live anywhere near that? The little boy smiled. He said, yes, take me to the cross. I can find my way home from there. Each week... The commandments are going to point us to the cross. That's where we find our way home. Not by, I kept this perfectly in my attitude and my action, but I need to be cleansed, forgiven, and changed, and only comes through the cross. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
The time spent over your word, we pray, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, that as our true condition is revealed, the true condition of our own culture and how far we have departed, in some cases the true condition of our own church and our own church life, and in some cases maybe how far we have departed, We pray for cleansing, restoration, and a means by which we can guide our lives according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.